thankful for that truth that I have Christ, because without him I would have nothing. In fact, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing to his disciples. So I am thankful today that I have Christ. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We have been looking at the subject of thankfulness. Two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus standing outside the tomb of Lazarus and saw that theme of thankfulness in prayer as Jesus prayed to his Father expressing thanks. Last Sunday morning, as we continued... We looked at the feeding of the 5,000, and then the feeding of the 4,000, and also the Lord's Supper, as we considered thankfulness for provision, that we should give thanks to God who is the provider of our day and our eternal needs. This morning, I want us to consider the thought of thankfulness for power. We've spent all year in the various Gospels in the life of Christ, so it may seem unusual for us now to step out of that and into Timothy. But Paul is very clear in this text that he is thankful to Jesus. And so 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through 17 as we begin, as we seek to understand what God has for us today. 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. A preacher of many years ago, W.A. Criswell, the victor who stands mighty to save. And in that he penned these words, It is not possible, wonderful Lord, to express in human speech the depths of our gratitude to God for the preciousness of the hope we have in our Lord Jesus, the conqueror of death, the grave, hell. The victor who stands mighty to save. Oh Lord, our lives, our hearts, our souls flow to you. May God give us strength and length of days to praise you. Then, in eternity to come, 
to share the angel's song and the saint's song of love and gratitude. Oh, what God has done for us. Are you thankful today for Jesus? Paul, as he wrote this first letter to Timothy, he opens here in chapter 1 by encouraging Timothy to faithfully serve at Ephesus. We learn from Acts chapter 20 that Paul himself had been serving in Ephesus and he would leave there to travel to Macedonia. But when he left Ephesus, he left Timothy to pastor the church to serve there, to continue to win people to Christ, to teach those who were there and disciple them. But Ephesus work. While Paul was there, he had been mobbed by a group of angry people who sought his life. And Paul escaped to continue on as God led him, but Timothy continued in that hard work. Based on some of the encouragement that Paul gives Timothy throughout the letter, it seems as if Timothy was ready to give up and run away. He was ready to, to go somewhere else. If that wasn't enough, false teachers had come in among the believers at Ephesus, and that only added to Timothy's burden of ministry. But after he spoke of those who wrongly interpreted and taught the word, Paul identified the gospel that God committed to him. And then, here in these passages that we read, as Paul thinks upon the gospel, he declared thanks to Jesus for this amazing gospel. And as he declared thanks to Jesus for the gospel, he remembered how Jesus had graciously and powerfully saved him. And Paul writes to explain that if you will believe on Jesus, he will graciously save you too. Paul gave thanks to Jesus for this power and grace that saved and sanctified him. This Thanksgiving, can you do the same? You who have believed on Jesus Christ have been powerfully and graciously saved by him. You too should declare thanks to Jesus for it. If you have not believed on Jesus Christ, you need to be saved. And only he can save you. And here's the wonderful reality that Paul declares in this text. If Paul could be saved, you can be too. Why did Paul explode with praise to Jesus here in 1 Timothy chapter 1? That's what we'll investigate as we discover why we should declare thanks to Jesus. I want you to see number one, we should declare thanks to Jesus because Jesus powerfully and graciously saves he powerfully and graciously saves now paul is writing about this gospel that god committed to him he, he says god's committed the gospel to my trust and as he goes into thinking about the the gospel he is captured with amazement 
Why was Paul captured with amazement when he considered the gospel? That Jesus had powerfully and graciously saved him. Well, let's begin by considering the recipient. Consider the recipient today. Paul identified himself before he came to Christ with three descriptive words. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, what is your testimony? How can you say that Jesus powerfully and graciously saved you? Paul would say, well, let me tell you what I was before I came to Christ. And here's the three words he would use. He, he would say, I was a blasphemer. Paul was one who denied Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, he caused others to do so too. He was an Orthodox Jew. In Philippians chapter 3, he writes about how if you, were to, if you were to measure someone according to the flesh, if salvation is truly about what you do in the flesh, Paul said, I would have more right to claim salvation than anybody else. As it, as it comes to the law, as it comes to being a true Israelite, as it appertains to the flesh being a Jew, Paul said, I'm above all of my peers. No one measured up like I did. And in that, he denied the Lord Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And because he was so zealous, he thought for God, he then went around the area, forcing those who had believed on Jesus, trying to get them to recant their faith, throwing them in prison, torturing them, murdering them. He said he was a persecutor. He used physical and political power to try to destroy the church. In one passage, Paul says he wreaked havoc on the church of God. Paul would say, if you were to ask him, what is your testimony? He would say, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. He would say, I was injurious. That's an old word for you. What does it mean? The idea behind the word is insolence, pride. In that place, Paul was so lifted up with pride in his own righteousness, in his zeal for God, that he believed he was doing the right thing, harming others. Paul says, I was so filled with pride, so filled with arrogance in my flesh, who I was and what I was doing thoughtfully for God, that I was okay with harming others who were not Along my lines, who didn't believe the way that I believed, who didn't live the way that I lived. Paul's view of what he was before he experienced the power and grace of Jesus to save him cannot be exaggerated. He even went so far as to label himself the chief of sinners. In Acts 26, 11, Paul was standing before King Agrippa, and as he stood before King Agrippa sharing his testimony, he shared what might have been his first sin. Acts 26, 11 says, And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them 
even unto strange cities. Paul stood before Agrippa and he said, I'm I'm here because of my faith in Jesus. I'm here for preaching that there was one sent from God who was crucified, who died for sins, was buried and rose again. But Agrippa, I want you to understand that even as I preach this gospel through Jesus Christ, before I came to Christ, I went around to every synagogue, every place where, where there was a Jewish gathering and I found the Christians and I forced them I did everything I could to cause them to deny the Jesus they said they'd believed Spurgeon said this indeed was a very horrible part of Saul's sinfulness to destroy their bodies was bad enough but to destroy their souls Compel them to blaspheme, to speak evil of that name which they confess to be their joy and their hope. Surely that was the worst form that even persecution could assume. He forced them under torture to abjure the Christ whom their hearts loved. As it were, he was not content to kill them, but he must damn them too. Paul said, that's, that's me. He, he was the recipient. But then I want you to notice, secondly, and ask you to consider the redemption. Here is the wonderful reality of what Paul declares here. Paul, if he were to tell you his testimony, he would say, I sinned greatly, but Jesus saves more greatly. What a truth! I sin greatly, but Jesus saves more greatly. I love how he wrote it in Romans chapter 5, don't you? Where sin abounded. And as Paul penned those words, surely he thought of himself, a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious, the chief of sinners. And Paul, perhaps with tear-stained eyes, staining the parchment he wrote on, said, where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound. I sinned greatly, but Jesus saves more greatly. Aren't you thankful today for that truth? Can you remember what you were before you came to Christ? It really doesn't matter at what age you were saved. Sometimes we think that someone saved a little later in life who's done all these terrible things, that they have a tremendous testimony of the grace of Jesus Christ. The reality is, whether you were saved at 4 or 40, your testimony is a testimony of the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. You were a sinner condemned before a holy God on your way to hell. But when you heard the gospel and responded in faith, the Spirit of God working in you to convince you of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come, and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and He graciously and powerfully saved you, you were no longer a sinner condemned before a holy and just God. You were a sinner forgiven, placed on the road to heaven. No matter how great your sin is, he saves more greatly. Paul says this redemption sprang from the gift of mercy and the gift of grace. He speaks in verse number 13 of obtaining mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In mercy, God did not give Paul what he deserved. What was that? 
eternity in hell separated from God. In grace, God instead gave Paul what he did not deserve, the hope of eternal life in heaven with God. Wearsby said it this way, grace and mercy are God's love in action. God's love paying a price to save lost sinners. And what was that price that he paid? The price that he paid was the price of his son. Jesus, who came and lived the life that we cannot live. Who died the death that we deserve and rose triumphant over death in the grave. It is by grace that we are saved because God is rich in mercy and grace. Of his grace, Paul writes in verse number 14 that it's exceeding abundant. I love that. What does that mean? It's a compound word that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament, and it simply means to superabound. This word emphatically identifies above and beyond what is needed. Paul said, I sinned greatly, but Jesus saves more greatly. And how could he say that? Because God's grace to Paul through Jesus abounds exceedingly it's above and beyond what is needed you you might remember back to what you were before coming to christ you might be here today without jesus christ and think how could god save a sinner like me here's how friend because god's grace is exceeding abundant it exceeds above and beyond what is needed you see, you can go to the well of God's grace over and over again and drop the bucket demonstrating your need to reach that grace. And you can drop it in again and again and again. And every time you pull it up, that bucket will be full because the well of God's grace never runs dry. We sin greatly, but His grace in salvation is even more great. Spurgeon wrote, despair's head is cut off and stuck on a pole by the salvation of the chief of sinners. No man can now say that he is too great a sinner to be saved because the chief of sinners was saved 1,800 years ago. If the ringleader, the chief of the gain, has been washed in the precious blood and now is in heaven, why not I? Why not you? If the chief of sinners could be saved, no one is beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I saw just yesterday, one of my friends posted on Facebook this thought. He said, think about this. Paul once martyred Christians. And when he entered heaven, he entered heaven to the applause of those he martyred. That is the gospel. Where sin abounded. Grace did much more abound. I can sin greatly, but Jesus will always save more greatly. Pause for just a moment and think about what Paul says. If Jesus can save me, he can save you. If his grace could reach down and pull me up out of the pit of my sin... Pull me off the road to hell and eternity separated from him. Then he can reach down and do the same for you. Here's the wonderful truth of the word of God. No one, no one lies beyond the reach of Jesus to powerfully and graciously save. God stands rich in mercy and grace to deliver anyone who will come to him through Jesus Christ. 
If you do not know him, come today. The recipient, chief of sinners, the redemption, Jesus saves more greatly. Consider the recognition. Through all of this, his thought upon the gospel, Paul recognized a truth. He came to the, the, the realization, as we all must, that salvation is dependent not on works, but on faith. He speaks of that in, in verse number 13 and following. He says, Who was before a blasphemer, persecutor, injurious, what I was, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Salvation is due to the love and long-suffering of God. Paul reveals this truth. You remember his testimony. He was on the way to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And as he was on his way there, a light from heaven shone about him, knocked him from his horse and blinded him. And it was Jesus appearing to him. And when Jesus appeared to him, he asked him a question, followed by this statement, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. What did Jesus mean by that? Paul had apparently been under conviction. Having persecuted Christians, he knew what the gospel was. Jesus had come. He was the promised Messiah. He had come the first time not to set up the kingdom of God in Israel, but to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin to satisfy the justice and wrath of God. He did that, but he didn't stay in the tomb. He arose three days later. He had heard that message again and again and again. The Holy Spirit had already been at work in Paul's life to convict him of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. Paul, you're not good enough. Paul, you can never be good enough. Paul, in reality, you think you're so good. And the reality is, you're the worst of sinners. Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to continue to be under that conviction. Paul noted that God's love and long-suffering to him had been so great. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, friend, God is so loving He's so long-suffering. The message of the gospel is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. We've heard that message again and again, perhaps, and yet not believed. Perhaps you're here hearing it for the first time or watching, and this is the first time you've ever heard that message. You might be somewhere here in the United States. You might be in China or North Korea or South Korea somewhere around the globe and not know the Lord Jesus Christ and you've never heard the message before here it is simply we're sinners Jesus came lived died for us rose again and if you believe on Jesus God will save you he loves you that much and Paul went on to say that all those who believe exemplify salvation that's what he meant when he said in verse 16, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern. Paul said, I'm an example of the gospel. If I could put it this way, Paul says, I am a picture of grace. 
Friend, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know that it's not by works of righteousness which you have done, as we read earlier in Titus chapter 3, but according to his mercy he saved you with the washing of regeneration by the Holy Ghost. You did nothing, he did it all. He sent his son. He gave the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment to show you that you're a sinner, to show you the love and righteousness of God, to draw you to Jesus in accepting the gift of doing nothing. He did everything that you might be a picture of his grace. Again, the truth that Paul declares is if I can be saved, you can be too. Simply believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. You say, Pastor, I know that. Friends, remember how great this gift is. It's nothing that you've done. No matter how greatly you sinned, Jesus saves more greatly. He reached right down and he lifted you out of that pit on your way to hell and placed you on the road to a heaven in eternity with him. Recognize how Jesus has powerfully and graciously saved you and declare thanks to him for it. You want to talk about an authentic, sincere, real heart of thankfulness this Thanksgiving season? Pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know how hard this year has been. You don't know how hard the road I'm walking right now. I may not, but I know this. No matter how hard the road has been, no matter how difficult the year has been, that does not take away from the truth that Jesus has powerfully and graciously saved you. And even if it's difficult right now, this Thanksgiving season, you can be full of sincere, authentic, real thankfulness because of that truth. Number two, I want you to see not only that Jesus powerfully and graciously saves, but also Jesus powerfully and graciously sanctifies. I want you to think for a moment. Paul said, I was a blasphemer. I persecuted. I, I was injurious. I forced others to recant their faith in Christ. I put them in prison. I tortured them. I murdered them. And yet, not only did Jesus powerfully and graciously save me, But Jesus put me into the ministry. God reached down and, and not only said, Paul, I'm still going to save you and give you a place in heaven with me for all of eternity. God reached down and he said, Paul, not only that, but I want to use you. I want to give you a full life. I want to give you purpose. I want to give you meaning. I want to give you fruit. Paul, I can use you. The reality that if, it, if Paul could be saved, anyone could be saved is true here too. If God could use Paul, he can use you. We look at Paul as a super Christian. We look at Paul as some superhero. But I want you to see, friends, that Paul had no... Paul had no pie-in-the-sky ideas about who he was and what he was. 
Did you catch? Did Paul say here, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was injurious, and I was the chief of sinners? Is that what Paul said? Look back at the end of verse number 15. What did he say about being the chief of sinners? I am the chief of sinners. Now, now in case you're not sure, that's present tense. Paul didn't say, I was the worst of sinners before I got saved, and now I'm, I'm all good. Paul didn't say, I was the worst of sinners before coming to Christ, and now, oh, look at my life. It, it's so perfect and righteous. Is that what Paul said? He said, I am. Paul didn't have any false understanding of who and what he was. Paul knew before Christ, sinner. After Christ, sinner. So what's the difference? Before Christ, sinner condemned. After Christ, sinner forgiven. And here's what Paul says. I give thanks to my Savior because he powerfully and graciously saved me but also because he sanctifies me. God is working through his mercy and grace not only to, not only to deal with your, your sin for salvation, not only to deal with your past, but God is working to deal with your present, to set you apart from this world unto himself that he might use you. Paul understood he wasn't disqualified. And friends, that goes for you too. You cannot think that your past puts you beyond the saving and sanctifying power of Jesus. It does not. His grace sufficiently provides for both. Did you hear what we read in Titus chapter 2? Earlier in the service. That grace of God that saves us, praise God for that. But, but Paul wrote to Titus that God's grace is not only what saves us, but it's also his grace that sanctifies us. What is grace, remember? God giving us something we don't deserve. The riches of God being poured out on us for Christ's sake because of what Jesus has done. Friends, what you have in Christ today, you've not merited, you've not earned. Why do we get stuck in this belief that I can't earn salvation, but once I am saved, everything I receive from God I have to earn? That's not what the Bible teaches. Even after salvation, everything we receive from God, every blessing that comes down is due to the grace of God. Listen again to Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then he says this, teaching us that. What is teaching us? What teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world? It's still grace. It's God's grace that saves you, friend, and it's God's grace that sanctifies you. It's God's grace that allows you a place in heaven. It's God's place that allows you a place in his servant, service. 
It's God's grace that reaches down and rescues you from the pit of condemnation and hell. It's God's grace that reaches down and takes you out of that pit of sin and failure and mistake and puts you in a place where you can be used by Him. God's grace. God's grace. Think of the enabling of Jesus. Paul says in verse number 12 in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. That word is the word endinumao, and it means to empower, to strengthen, to confirm. This word is used throughout the New Testament identifying specifically God's power. It's used eight times in the New Testament in this context of enablement and power to a believer coming not from self, but from God. Paul didn't look into himself and find the strength and power in himself to do what God wanted him to do. Paul looked, if he looked inward, it was to the Spirit. He looked to Christ. Remember, in his flesh, Paul begged God, take the thorn away. In the Spirit, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul knew it wasn't in himself that he had the power to serve God. It was through Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. The expectation is faithfulness. What one quality did Paul know that God saw in him? He said, he enabled me, for he counted me faithful. One wrote it this way, faithfulness made Paul ready to be used by God. We often see our Christian service as a matter of volunteering, yet as Christians, in regard to his to Jesus and his church, we are not volunteers, we are slaves. We are duty-bound servants of Jesus, and faithfulness is expected of such servants. You don't have to be smart to be faithful. You don't have to be gifted or talented. Faithfulness is something very down-to-earth, and each of us can be faithful in the place God has placed us. Many people wait to be faithful. We tell ourselves, I'll be faithful when I'm in such and such a position. That's foolish. We should be faithful right where we're at. In the small things. God's expectation on us is faithfulness. Notice thirdly, the exhortation is sharing. Paul said, God has committed to my trust this glorious gospel. What did that mean? Jesus had powerfully and graciously saved and sanctified Paul so that he could share the message that Jesus powerfully and graciously saves. Why did God save and sanctify you? Simply so you could go out and share the message that God graciously and powerfully saves. And then fourthly, the explosion is praise. How does verse 17 fit into the context here? Paul's writing that Jesus 
powerfully and graciously saves, that he powerfully and graciously sanctifies, and then suddenly, almost out of nowhere, he says, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from a man who understood how great of a gift he had received from God. How much he understood the power and grace of Jesus to save and sanctify him. And because he knew and recognized it, he was driven to declare thanks. Verse 17 is simply Paul's declaration of praise. Child of God, Jesus powerfully and graciously saved you. He works to powerfully and graciously sanctify you. Declare thanks to him for that. You might be going into this Thanksgiving season thinking to yourself, as I look at my life, as I look at the road I've walked this year, as I look at the road I'm walking right now, I'm not seeing many reasons to give God thanks, and that may be true. But I want you to know today that even if you're walking a hard road, even if it's been a difficult year, even if you've lost someone near and dear to you, even if someone near and dear to you is not with you, can't be with you because of some physical ailment, if, if you're dealing with a financial burden and strain that uh, this year has added to our lives, if you're going through some emotional difficulty that you are just struggling to get through and it's weighing you down and it's a burden to you, you might be walking that tough road and finding it difficult to find any reason to give thanks this Thanksgiving season. But let me declare to you today that we can be full of thanks because we have a Savior who graciously and powerfully saves and we have a Savior who powerfully and graciously sanctifies. Be filled with thankfulness to Jesus and for Jesus who powerfully and graciously saves and sanctifies. The truth today is that Jesus has, or he can, powerfully and graciously save and sanctify you, and you should declare your thanks to him for it. Regardless of who you are and what you've done, you are never beyond the saving power and grace of Jesus. Paul said, I am chief of sinners, and yet Jesus saved me. Don't despair today. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how much of a sinner I am. Pastor, don't I need to work my way to him a little bit first before he can save me? No, friend, you're missing the point. You can sin greatly, and if we were honest, all of us would say we've sinned greatly. All of us would say we sin greatly but jesus saves more greatly the well of god's grace never 
runs dry. It never has. It never will. He gives salvation to those who believe because of his mercy and grace, not because of how good we are. We're still sinners, just forgiven. And then, if that weren't enough, he sanctifies you to fit you for ministry, the special purpose he has planned for your life. And so if you know Jesus and you're a follower of Christ, recognize how Jesus has powerfully and graciously saved and sanctified you, and then declare thanks How, Pastor, what does it look like to declare thanks? Maybe today it's just quoting like Paul did. Now unto the King, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Maybe today that's your prayer, your song of praise. Maybe it's just to wait before him and say, Jesus, thank you. I know what I was. I know what I am. Thank you. Thank you. And then perhaps today, you're here, or you're somewhere else watching and listening in on the internet. Maybe someone invited you, or you just found it by accident. And you've never believed on Christ. If Paul could be saved... You can be too. He will powerfully and graciously save you. Call on the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. You've heard the word preached. The word has been declared. Now you need to decide. That's the way it works. God's word is declared. And then we have a decision to make. What decision you need to make, I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know how he's spoken to your heart today. But I do know the Bible declares to us that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. And maybe today the decision or the step that you need to take is to simply say, Lord, I've come into this Thanksgiving season not seeing much reason to give thanks. But Lord, you've showed me today that I have so much to be thankful for. And maybe today for you, taking a step or making a decision is simply coming to the Lord and saying, thank you. Thank you. God, this Thanksgiving season, though I don't see much other reason to, I'm going to determine to give thanks and be full of thankfulness because of what you've done. And then maybe you're that person who's never believed on Jesus. Today, God is drawing you. Holy Spirit of God is calling you. Your response, prayer for you would be, I believe. God, I know I'm a sinner condemned before you. And I believe today that you sent Jesus 
that he lived the life I can't, that he died the death I deserve, and that he arose triumphant over the grave. And through placing your faith and trust in Christ, he will save you today. The work's been done. You just need to accept the gift. Won't you believe today? The musicians are going to begin the music right now. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with heads bowed and eyes closed. If God is speaking right now, you respond.